It is Monday, April 17th, 2023, and welcome to episode 208 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm Lester Munson, NSI Senior Fellow, and joining me are Jamil Jaffer, NSI's Founder and Executive Director, and Jessica Jones, Conflicted Superhero. Is there any other kind? So a civil war has broken out in Sudan between rival military leaders. Forces loyal to Sudan's military leader, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, are fighting the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, commanded by Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, known by his nom de guerre, Hamedi. In 2019, al-Burhan and Dagalo, that is Hamedi, worked together to oust the Sudanese dictator Omar al-Bashir, who had ruled Sudan for three decades a move that was generally seen positively in the West. Both men also played a role in a military coup in Sudan two years later in 2021. The fighting now appears to be about which military leader is going to control Sudan going forward. From what we understand, there's fighting in Khartoum, in Amdaran, the city right next to Khartoum, in Darfur, which is the region in Western Sudan that was the subject of a civil war years ago, uh, and also in all likelihood in other places in Sudan. What we have seen uh, that there are dozens have been killed in all likelihood Hundreds have been killed, so there's real violence going on. Artillery is being used. It appears that there is uh, substantial fighting going on in cities. It's uh, an event of enormous concern. The airport in Khartoum has been shut down. Uh, there's there's real chaos on the ground. Three World Food Program workers have been killed, so WFP has pulled out of Sudan. This is a humanitarian crisis, a crisis of violence. We're seeing some diplomacy occur. Uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken has called for an immediate ceasefire, as have other leaders around the world. It's important to note that Hamedi's forces are supported by the Russians, including the Wagner Group. Uh, and it's also, we should also note that Hamedi's forces used to be known as the Janjaweed, which were guilty of massive human rights abuses during the Darfur conflict years ago. So there's, there's a long history of instability in Sudan. Uh, it's, we should also note that there's a lot of instability in the Northern Africa region generally, and I'm including the Sahel in that. So everywhere from Mali in the West over to Sudan and Ethiopia in the East, we've seen civil wars, coups, Lots of fighting between governments and rebel groups occurring. And, and one of the, one of the phenomena that has emerged here is the, the role of the Wagner Group or this Russian paramilitary mercenary organization playing a role, providing security for nefarious actors in the region. Uh, so there's some things to be concerned about here. But I think the broader question is, what are U.S. national interests in what's happening in Sudan and how should the U.S. behave? Jones, what do you think? Uh, so, Les, I think you bring up a really interesting point with the Wagner Group. I think previously, you know, I think Sudan really was, you know, focused for U.S. national security interests as a counterterrorism partner. But that has slowly, that has recently changed as you see growing ties with Sudan, with Russia and with China. Uh, you point out the Wagner Group, but also in February, uh, Sudan's military actually agreed to a rush, the building of a Russian Navy base at the port of Sudan um, and operations for 25 years. Uh, and that has to be approved by a civilian government, which, as you are doesn't exist right now, but could one day. Um, and that's a really large development. You also see China um, is a large trading partner uh, with Sudan, and they ship you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of military arms. And so looking at Sudan um, and its growing relationships to China and Russia is just a new consideration for the U.S. Um, so it has growing, there's more growing at stake here for the U.S., but whether that means that we actually participate or what kind of support or attention we bring to this particular conflict right now, not not so sure. Jamil. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think, I think Jessica's right. I, it, obviously the, the involvement of 
China and Russia in this particular region of, of East Africa is critically important and one we need to worry about. But at the end of the day, you know, Sudan has been fraught with problems for, you know, two decades, uh, ever since uh, Omar Bashir uh, took took power in 2003, um, you know, and held power for, for or actually long before that, the fighting against him began in 2003. It's been a real problem. Uh, problem region. We've, we know what's happened in Darfur and the terrible genocide there um, in the west of Sudan. Uh, but from a humanitarian perspective, then, there's a real important role for the U.S. to play um, as part of a larger U.N. effort. Uh, the last U.N. Uh, force there left in 2020. Uh, probably better to bring them back. They were a joint mi- a mission with the African Union. Probably makes sense for them to come back, largely resourced by East African countries, uh, Tanzania and the like, um, there from the region. Uh, that's probably the right approach, uh, rather than the U.S. getting directly involved. Uh, now, that being said, I, I do take Jessica's point. I think she's right to say that this this new uptick of Russian involvement uh, and and their their building of a port there um, and the Chinese activity there, you know, is is a concern. But we can't play everywhere all the time. Um, and I realize I'm the one always leaning forward for U.S. to get engaged and involved. This is one place where I think maybe it's the right thing to do is for us not to lean forward and for us instead uh, to work more closely with partners and allies to get this thing done. You know, I do I tend to agree with you guys. So I'm not sure we have a, a huge debate here. But I do think the U.S. should be taking a longer term view about security assistance to places like Sudan. This this Wagner group has grown up to meet a need out in the field. It's gone from, you know, about 250 uh, men under arms to a, to up to 50,000. Now, a lot of that's because of the Ukraine war. But still, the, the Wagner group has met a need in places like Sudan and Mali to provide forces that can help leaders uh, for good or bad provide uh, security far afield from from the capital. And so I think we in the West and the U.S. and other countries ought to be thinking more creatively about the tools in our toolbox. We tend to not want to have a role in providing security in situations like that. We might need to rethink that because it's really providing an opportunity for bad guys. Russian forces and the Chinese, frankly, are eventually going to, we're going to see more of a role for them too, are, are filling this void. And and we need to think our, our policymakers should be thinking more creatively uh, and innovatively about how we can we can play a role and meet that need in a way that works better for us. The other, the other quick thought I have is, you know, instability in Sudan in the long run is bad for us. Uh, Al-Qaeda had a foothold there back in the 90s. Right. There was, it was a, a big growth opportunity for them. Uh, Osama bin Laden was, was living in Sudan. Uh, he used he used that as a launching pad for for some of the attacks against the U.S. before 9-11. Uh, and so so we can't ignore what happens in Sudan. We don't we may not want to be flying the Marines in there right now to make peace between these fighting factions. But we need to be thinking long term about what our interests are there and and work in better ways to provide for for stability and a and a, a better way forward that doesn't provide these opportunities for bad guys to act against us. Yeah, I do worry about one thing, though, Les, which is, you know, there's this dynamic in Sudan where the military, you know, keeps conducting coups and keeps taking power. Uh, you know, when they have an opportunity, they, they deposed uh, Bashir, obviously, in 2019. But then there's been discussions about a civilian government ever since. And there have been like three or four different agreements, the Juba Peace Accords, right, or the Juba Agreement. And then there was an agreement at the end of, at the end of December, just this past, just three months ago, four months ago. I mean, it, it, it does seem like right now Sudan is a basket case when it comes to the political uh, you know, military, civilian military relationship. I'm not sure we're going to do a whole, whole heck of a lot of good. And frankly, I'm not sure Anthony Blinken calling for a ceasefire like it's some sort of magic is is the answer either. Um, if we're going to do something, we need to be effective and really get in there with the people who are um, who are engaged on the ground and figure out who we're supporting, right? Because, you know, historically, you know, we've supported civilian leadership, but, you know, 
there's two military people fighting this thing out, and they've really been the power from behind from the beginning, and, and now the Russians are in behind the former Janjaweed forces of Hamati, right? I mean, do we need to come in on the side of Burhan? By the way, he's not, he doesn't have his hands clean either. He was also engaged in the atrocities in, in, uh, in, um, in Darfur as well. So it's not like either of these guys is uh, anything like an angel. You know, there's an old canard that all of these countries uh, that are not necessarily in our, the main places we care about are strategically located. Sudan actually is strategically located. It's adjacent to the Middle East. Uh, it's right there next to Egypt. What happens in Sudan does affect stability in Egypt. Egypt is the largest uh, country population-wise in the Middle East. And if Egypt starts to go sideways, that's that's very, very bad for U.S. interests. So we do need to pay attention um, and uh, stop giving opportunities to the Russians and the Chinese to exploit. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Aga Khan from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Wednesday for another episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debate shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.